following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Travelers Down Thunder Road, it's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your shiny new calendar that you left in the cellophane, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this new year? Happy New Year, pal. Um, yeah, I'm good. It's, it's been quite a couple of weeks for me personally, but yeah, it's a it's a new year, it's a new new dawn, it's a new day, and I'm feeling yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let, let's let's just get to it. We've got some we've got some office business to handle up top here. Uh, the first of which, uh, Mazeltov, my friend, and congratulations. We have the first official baby of thunder arrived <laughs> over our Christmas break. <laughs> Yeah, and what's funny is I, I posted about the um the birth of the baby in the VOW Slack and um Garrett Kidney, who we had on for the WWA show, his first reaction was, My God, you did that podcast while your wife was on the way in the hospital. I was like, Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's like what do you think sent her into labour, Garrett? <laughs> Watching WWA with the lads. Um, he was amazed that I took the time out of, you know, getting my wife ready for going to hospital, you know, to sit down and talk about Road Dog and Jeff Jarrett and bananas in pajamas. <laughs> yeah, uh, but ultimately the real existential question is which is more painful, a WWA show or childbirth? <laughs> but also thanks to everyone for the the incredible reaction we got to that show. Yeah. Yeah, not only the incredible reaction to the show, but I think the community of Thunder Buddies who who saw um, our tweet about uh, Baby Malone arriving mm-hmm. into the world, um, we were just we were all full of Christmas cheer over the holidays with with both of those kind of like uh, very different sets of feedback. <laughs> yeah, also yeah, thank you to everybody for their for their um, kind comments and congratulations and stuff. Yeah, um, I, I gotta say, um, the next, after our Christmas special, because I hadn't actually thought that that was our last episode on here, that I think the next hypothetical t-shirt that we need to make is the uh, road dog kicking in the door of a, a booking meeting anywhere in the world with his WWA tapes. That's really captured the imaginations of Thunder Buddies. I, I, I tell you what, if the road dog doesn't start doing death matches where he's busting through doors, what's he at? Uh... Yeah, literally the night we sat down to record this, he was let go from NXT. So who knows what door he'll be kicking yeah, in next? Who knows where Drodo is going to end up next? Is uh, yeah. AAA going to get a Tree uh, LK reunion? Who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, so that's that. And then, um, well, uh, 
if you've been paying close attention to our Twitter at WCW Thunderpod, which you all should be, by the way, unless you are way smarter than us and, and you don't, don't do have Twitter, Twitter which, which is case, yeah. fair play. Hats off. Yeah. Um. This I said this feels weird, mate. Um. This is our last show on the PWOM podcast network. Let that sink in there for a second. Mm-hmm. It feels weird to say that. Um, PWOM has been our home since I think episode five. Yeah, of the show. Very, very early on in the run. Yeah. So, like, this is also you know our de facto three year anniversary show. Um, we'll talk more about the three year anniversary in a little bit. Um, so for most of that three year run. We have made our home at PWO, then PWOM. Um, and since day one, it's been um, like a fantastic home to us. Um, they approached us really, really early on in the process of making. I think we only had a couple of shows mm-hmm. out there when the conversation started. And it was really nice. It was like, I think it was the first um, time I felt like we were onto something yeah. that, that people were enjoying. Because mm-hmm. I was like, look, we were getting feedback on the Twitter from people who were listening to it. We were seeing the follows, you know, start to go up on, on, on social media. But I think like when you have an established biggin of the, the wrestling podcast networks come to you and say, we would like to have you on our platform. I think that's a that that was the first really big deal of of that kind of milestone for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, for sure. Like it was, it, it was such, it wasn't something we were expecting at all. Like at any point in our run, we just thought we were just gonna be our own yeah. little podcast and just happy yeah. enough to just do it amongst ourselves. Yeah, we thought we were gonna be out on our own little Thunder Island. Um, and you know, I remember us having the conversation, uh, being like, you know. Um, it, you know, is this something we want to do? Because it was so out of the blue. It was never something we thought was in the offing mm-hmm. for us. And and you know, we we joined the PWOM and haven't looked back since. Um, they have done incredible work for us. I'm sure there's probably a majority at this stage of people who listen to the show who wouldn't have listened to us had it not been for the signal boosting we got from joining up with the network mm-hmm. and obviously being allied with so many great other podcasts. Um. Uh, on there um so i suppose like I, in terms of you know i, I want to thank the whole network because it's been great it, it it's it's felt like a comfortable home for us for so long um and all the podcasts that kind of even though we haven't maybe directly you know collaborated on different things you know hearing when i listen to other pwm podcasts as i do and, and hearing them mention us or put us over um, has definitely helped in a big, bad way. So that's kind of like the general thank yous. Uh, I definitely want to thank, you know, uh, Kelly and Tom for the opportunity, um, you know, for approaching us, wanting us on the platform. And Tom in particular, who I'll tell you, has been doing the Lord's yeah. work for nearly three years, mm-hmm. putting up with emails at all times of the day and night from me with, hey, there's a show. This is when I'd like it to go up. Uh, you know, could you please do that? Sometimes uh, like, hey, we wanted a show five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and it's always my yeah. fault. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's, no. It's never Tom's fault, no. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, the, the guy gets it up as, as soon as is reasonably allowed. But me being the absolute trash fire I am, like, with work and stuff like that, sometimes it's like the show needs to go up Thursday and I'm coming home on the train from work Thursday evening editing it and going, Jesus, I hope Tom's around this evening. <laughs> Um, 
so yeah a big thanks to him for for putting up with us and for kelly for the opportunity um again we would be nowhere without them um i wanted to uh, save a very specific thank you and those are to jeff and chris uh, of the Strong Style Story podcast, who, funnily enough, right after us, also announced that they were wrapping up for now uh, <laughs> their show. Um, nothing got to do with us. And <laughs> nothing got to do with us. It was just so, like, it was such a case of parallel thinking. It was weird. Yeah. Um, but Chris and Jeff are two guys who I had never interacted with mm-hmm. online at all before we set up on the network and I can't remember how we got to talk him um, but it was very early days and you know since the very early days the four of us have all been in a group chat together which has become my like weekly hangout spot when I watch Dynamite <laughs> uh, just chatting with the, the two lads we've obviously collaborated a number of times with each other and you know even if we had joined up with PWOM you know, nearly three years ago and we had gotten no lo- new listeners, no signal boost or anything like that. And um, the fact that we, we've come out the other side of our relationship with PWM with with two, like, I would consider very good and mm-hmm. dear friends uh, at this stage has been, uh, that's been worth it by itself. Yeah, it, it, you know it's made, I mean? it all, made it very much worthwhile to come out, come out of it all with, yeah, like the listeners and like the like you said, the the boost of the show was brilliant. But like to come out with two friends like Chris and Jeff has just made it even better. Yeah, when the day comes in the mid twenty thirties, when the pandemic is over, and if the two of us <laughs> ever travel to the states again, it would be awesome to to meet up with the boys. Um, yeah. because yeah, it's like um, I can't remember if it's like two or three, maybe more than three. Um, crossover shows we had now at this stage because they've been on here and we've gone over there and obviously me and Chris have been doing the the Cast and the Furious side project mm-hmm. as well so like we're pretty intertwined in terms of collaboration at this stage but yeah just a tremendous two tremendous human beings um, that we, we wish all the best for as well um, I suppose kind of moving on from the like where we are to where we're going uh, if you haven't seen it on Twitter uh, already uh, we will be moving, as and from the next edition of the show, which will be Thunder episode 50, to the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Um, and yeah, um, it's a big deal. I was um, personally very flattered that, that um, you know, we've been talking to, to Rich about um, the transition and stuff like that. And, you know, um, very flattered by how, you know, into the show and how into the idea of, of us being on, on VOW he is. Um, so that, again, you know, like that initial conversations we had joining PWOM, that was a nice kind of badge of honor for us. I'm really happy to be kind of um, joining a, a pretty cool roster of shows on there as well. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just funny because, like, originally we had planned to make this announcement on the Christmas special, but that show was already running way <laughs> long. Um, so, it, like, you know, joining the same network as Garrett and Liam, who were on the last show, you know, that was planned to be, you know, part of it was making the announcement while they were on the show. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm really excited about it. But, Lee, obviously, you know, in terms of your written content, uh, VOW has been your home for a number of years. Yeah, um, yeah like, I, I've been part of VOW for, God, I, I can't even remember how many years at this point, but doing, like, OTT reviews, WWE reviews, 
I think I even did one or two articles at this point. Um, like part of a lot of collaborative efforts on the VOW, like the whole VOW team. But yeah, to me, it just made sense for our show. If if we're gonna move anywhere, you're gonna move up and. To move to the VOW podcast network is just it's yeah. incredible. Like I, I never thought it could, it would happen, but like when yeah. the discussion started and Rich was so open to it and Joe was so open yeah. to it, it was just like yeah, it just just makes perfect sense. I, I, and I think you know, I, like I don't want to put one over the other. No, no, no. Jeez. That, but I think I, I, yeah, I think our conversation was something like I, I think creatively speaking, we we've, we've kind of explored. Mm-hmm all the avenues we, we can where we are. And I think it's one of those, you know, the old tale about throwing your cap over the wall because if it's over the other side of the wall, you have to climb the wall yeah. to go get it. And I think challenging ourselves in a new environment like that, uh, you know, it's it's something I want to do. It's something I want to succeed at. Um, so I, I think it was time for us to shake things yeah, up a little. Like, we could very comfortably have stayed where we are and never changed and been very yeah. happy. But some just like just like we could have comfortably, you know, stayed stayed on our own originally. Yeah. And part of it, as well as the flattery of being, you know, the prettiest girl at the dance <laughs> and being asked, is that the challenge that comes with it. Because with being part of a network and and being part of a team, mm-hmm. um, there comes with it the, the challenges to live up to that. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's new, it's scary, it's different, and it's. Like you said, it's a challenge and it's something that the two of us wanted to do together. Yeah, we, we were really comfortable at POWM. We're, we're kind of sad to be leaving POWM, but we're also excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of a lot of emotions all at once. Um, But I suppose, what does that mean for you, the listener? Because, you know, we're just sitting here patting ourselves <laughs> on our two networks on the back here. Uh, away, goodo. Um, what does it mean for you? Uh, well, look, the the podcast remains free. It will always be free. It will remain on the same release schedule that, you know, barring act of God, it will be every two weeks on a Thursday. Sometimes more frequent if there's a special we want to drop in between. Or bar- barring act of thunder being absolutely fucking horrendous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're subscribed to the solo feed uh, of Days of Thunder, nothing will change for you. Our podcast host, um, our RSS feed, is getting imported onto, uh, onto our new host. So, um, that should be fairly seamless for you if you're subscribed to Just Days of Thunder now. You will keep getting the shows as and from when we switch to VOW. Um, if you are subscribed to us only through the PWM network feed, you may want to give us a subscribe on our solo feed as well while you're at it. Stay subscribed to PWM because, you know, Jeff releases a podcast every half hour and you, you need to catch <laughs> all of them. Um, so you don't want to miss out on that content. Um we will now also, obviously, if we're going to be part of VOW, we will be appearing on their catch-all podcast network feed, much as we had been doing on the PWM feed. Um, as part of that importation process, I believe our old shows will be getting retroactively added to the, the feed. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it'll more- be a process. It won't all happen at once, but... Yeah, look, I, I, I think uh, I think Rich is just finding out what a pair of absolute idiots we are with technology <laughs> and is probably regretting this already because um, 
I don't know. He's he's tried to explain it to us, and uh, you know, as and when we understand the salient details of how the the, the retroactive <laughs> adding of shows works, we will exactly, share that yeah. with you. But the old shows will stay on the you on know the, on the, feed, the old yeah, feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the show content will not change one bit. Um, Unfortunately, some still- of you will say. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, the content of what we cover won't change either, much to our chagrin. Um, the you will still be hearing East Seventeen. You will still be hearing Ghost. You'll still be hearing all those bumpers uh, that you 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 love so much. Uh, unfortunately, we'll 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 have to tweak the intro a little bit because we are on a different network. <laughs> um, but you know, you'll you'll hear that from the the, the start of the next episode. I, th- the I think it's fair to say they will still get a fine introduction yes yes they will uh i will i will fucking crowbar that into our new intro outro if i if it kills me to do it um and the one other thing i want to say as well as um so our trl shows which is the the mini series we had just done one episode of which is people who very kindly donated to us to help keep the uh the SoundCloud for mm-hmm. PWM running for another year. We still have five of those to do, if I'm correct. Four, four or five. maybe. Uh, four or five. We still have four four to five um, of those left to do. We will still be doing mm-hmm. those. Um, we will still absolutely honour those um, shows, but it'll be, on. like I said, the, the similar schedule we had planned, which is like every six to eight weeks. So once we get into the rhythm of a couple of shows under our belts on VOW, we'll reveal yeah. what the, the first of those uh, is going to be. Is there anything else I'm missing here, Lee? I'm conscious that I've been talking for quite some time. No, I don't think so. Like like you said, it it's we're so thankful to everyone at PWOM for all the help we have got over the past two and a half three years um like just the incredible boost they've given our show we like to think we've given the podcast network a boost also um like you said kelly and tom have done so much on the back end all the other podcasts that mentioned us thank you we will always say pwm is a great network some great shows on there don't unsubscribe just because we're gone so much quality co- content yeah. on there um, <laughs> and please don't unsubscribe to us either <laughs> <laughs> but yeah stay subscribed to everyone yeah, exactly <laughs> there, there's great content everywhere so just yeah just keep listening and um, yeah no thank, thank you to everyone at PWM yeah it feels like the cliched thing to say but like uh, I, I'll still be listening to my PWM mm. podcasts um in fact, it'll be it'll be better for me because I I can listen to it without the fear that if I just keep leave it playing, that my voice will turn up on it. Uh, unfortunately, that means my listening to the VOW network feed is going out the window because I just I'm just not going to listen back to our old shows. Um, but yeah, um, it it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to be on PWM for for three years, and here's the next three and more. And hey, we're uh, going out with a fucking bang tonight. Oh, hell yeah, we are. Um, but before we go uh, into the thing we covered for this uh, show, which, boy, how do we have a lot to say, so we won't labour too long. We've already done enough back padding. Uh, brother, uh, cheers to you. Three years in the Days of Thunder game. 
uh, we celebrated the it's it's somewhere around this time um, around the time it's coming out the dates don't quite match but uh, it was I definitely the, fir- the first I, week of January wasn't it it's the first first or second week I didn't look up the exact date um, I know the 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 Twitter account dropped on Christmas mm-hmm. uh, and then it was only like right after Chris right after New Year's that we we started this we, we, we fumbled um, our way into starting the show. Yeah, um, I I felt like it was proper to celebrate the three years on PWM before our send off. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, any just throw it out there, buddy. Any particular thoughts on three years or any <laughs> memories? I mean, the one thing is everyone said it wouldn't last, and I mean, <laughs> like, and that that was just <laughs> us. <laughs> The whole thing was like anyone that has ever tried to cover Thunder before has got like what five or six episodes in, yeah, and through no fault of their and own, and just gave up. And hey, listen, yeah. we fucking understood that pain, yeah. But no, like I, I, I don't really have any particular lowlights. Yeah, there's been bad episodes of Thunder. Yeah, there's been bad matches. Yeah, there's been stuff that like yeah. really annoyed us. But hey, yeah, we've got to talk to each other for hours on end. About bad wrestling, yeah. good wrestling, everything in between, mm. and yeah, no, it's been a great three years. Yeah, it has, buddy, and there's no one I'd rather do it with either. Um, I I think that like, it's funny that you mentioned this. You know, a lot of podcasts or you know, uh, people doing series mm-hmm. of articles or whatever, they they eventually give up on thunder. And I remember saying to you during our conversation, like, I'm not going to retell the story of us coming up with the idea for the show, but I remember very early on in our conversations, I, I kind of just said to you, is like, if I start this, we have to finish oh, it. Oh, yeah. As like, there's mm-hmm. no, like, I I don't, I, it's just the way my brain works. I can't start off a series like that and not finish it. Like, if I'm here by myself... Uh, I will cl- I will turn out the lights and close the door on the last thunder. I am I'm covering it all. Uh, you better believe it. Um, so I remain absolutely committed to that. I think the only real like it's been an absolute pleasure. It's like the highlight of my week whenever I do this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the the only two low lights I can think of are like so the odd time when a show gets completely garbled or the one that went missing. Uh, that we had to record a second time. Like, obviously, that's I think that's a rite of passage for any podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, to, hopefully, to be that fair, remains like te- few and far between. Te- technology issues I can't really, you know, hold against either of us or whatever. But, like, shit happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually just gremlins in the machine, that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I, I suppose the only other thing, uh, you know, that I'd like to kind of acknowledge was a big challenge for me personally, I think, was... Uh, podcasting through lockdown Mm -hmm. Um, much as I think it was like a real you know there are definitely positives of it that it kept us in contact with each other when we couldn't really we weren't really in contact with anybody else face to like we're obviously not face to face but you know over the zoom uh, getting to chat to each other Mm -hmm. uh, regularly I think kept me sane in some ways but I think um, feeling a lot of personal responsibility to put some kind of entertainment yeah. out there for people because we were hearing back from people who, you know, it meant a lot that we were doing more episodes of the podcast during I, a lockdown. I, th- I think by that. the end of what, wasn't wasn't it like nearly five or six months we were doing weekly yeah. shows? We did it mo- through most of the summer, yeah. But yeah, no, it was, yeah, no, it was, yeah, the, it was about three months actually, yeah, because we did, we did yeah. nearly weekly for 
a good long time. And I think by the end mm-hmm. of it, both are like, right, we need to take two weeks off and just say, come back fresh. And because yeah. it was, it was, and like, hats off to anyone that does a weekly show because it was yeah. intense. Like, as well as like, you mm-hmm. had your your own other podcasts to do. I had stuff with with the family. You had obviously stuff with Emma. Um, like yeah. it, it was we we both have jobs yeah like <laughs> I, I was I mean? like in spite of it being lockdown I was still going to work every day yeah and it was like it was that thing of yeah it was gr- it felt great to get the feedback from people going yeah this is brilliant I'm loving this like you know stuff getting mm. helping others through lockdown but by the end I think both of us were just like okay now we need to breathe <laughs> yeah 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 uh, and I suppose as well like the addition challenge of like um when speaking out happened mm-hmm. and having to the challenge of doing this show through that um was considerable um because you're you're kind of you're trying to find a sense of joy and enthusiasm in in something that has you know by and large revealed itself to be you know a, a scumbag yeah. carny trade um, and I'm thankful we, we stuck with it because I think, like, you know, something I said on that show where we talked about it is that I didn't want wrestling to feel like it was won over and taken from me by those yeah. people. Um, and I suppose I'm at least thankful that we do a retro because I think if we did a current day wrestling it, show, well, one, we'd have quit already have, yeah. before It that. would have been very difficult to... to it yeah. would have been much more difficult um, to do that. But uh, highlights, Jesus, there are too many to count. Like any collaboration show, like any time we've gotten to talk to other people has been great. Um, do you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and list all of them, but it, like I, I, I think... Every single time we've like hung up the Zoom or the Skype after having a guest on, the two of us say to each other, that was yeah, really yeah. good. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, I think our little mini series have always been like, I've always enjoyed mm-hmm. doing something a little bit different. You know, whether it's doing our Days of Thunder at the movies, doing Pick Your Poison, um, Cast and the Furious, like any, any little, you know, detour we've done has been uh, great fun. Uh, one of the little joys I always get is when something that we say is like a throwaway uh, tangent or a dumb gag, get, like we start seeing it getting repeated back to us in the mentions, uh, like after the show comes out, um, th- that always tickles me. Because some of them I think, okay, peop- I think people are like when I told the story about my granddad on the podcast, I was mm-hmm. like, I think I think people are going to like that one. Um, because I'm always tickled by it. Um, but then other ones, like, I just, I didn't think, like, again, using the most recent example, I didn't think the road dog kicking in the door thing was, like, <laughs> would take off, but it has. Yeah, that, that one seems to have got a great reaction, just because it's the and most I, recent one, that's why it sticks in the memory, like. The ultimate one, probably the first one that like started taking on a life of its own and has been kind of a running bit that we get tweeted at still constantly to this day is the large man. Yes, appears. large man appears. The uh, one one but of the up, early ones was uh, Snickers Snooper Bra- Snickers Super Brawl. So Snickers sold, Snickers sold out. Snickers. Yeah, sorry, sold out, yeah, sold out. Yeah. Sold out. So not Super Brawl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was yes. another early one. Yeah, stuff like that uh, always tickles me. And then, yeah, of course, just. Um, 
something we always say on the show is like whenever somebody goes, oh, just found your show and I've been binging you know, the old binge yeah, you lunatics, yeah. you fucking lunatics, crazy, crazy. <laughs> we love you, bastards. <laughs> Crazy shit. Well, wasn't uh, it, wasn't it Ian that went through like fucking 20 episodes in two days or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. why? Um, <laughs> it's great because that's what I do when I find a new podcast. Yeah, fair, I'm really I do the same, yeah. So it's like I identify myself in that so strongly. So yeah, thank you all mm-hmm. for that. Uh, so without gassing ourselves up much more, let's just get into what we're talking about this week. But firstly, uh, for the last time on PWOM, our beers of thunder what adult beverage have you brought with you this evening well now unfortunately i do not have an adult beverage tonight because oh. i have to be responsible and able to drive at a moment's notice while my wife is yeah. still recovering from surgery so yeah meet the new da same as the exactly <laughs> i would love i got some great whiskeys over christmas as we saw mm-hmm. <laughs> if you follow did the, the thunder twitter account you saw me post a couple of pictures so yeah no yep Normal service will resume in the next couple of weeks, but yeah, not at the moment. Unfortunately, I'm just on some sparkling water and blackcurrant. Well, I am making up for it here because I received for Christmas one of those uh, optic spiral uh, turnstile things like you get in a bar that have the bottles turned upside down that you can uh, pour your Do your uh, measures. Your spirits for yourself, pour your measures yep. for. And of course, being painfully on brand you know there are four slots on it and usually you would put a variety of beverages all whiskey on mine my friend yeah of course it had to be um so i have my uh my what do i have on it here and it'll be it'll be this rotation for the next while because i'm not drinking it that quick uh i have my powers old-fashioned mix i have jemison black barrel i have uh bush mills black bush and mm-hmm. what I've gone for tonight, which is probably the, the nicest one of the lot of them. Actually, no, Black Barrel might be just as nice. Uh, I've gone with a Green Spot Irish whiskey. Ah, very nice. And I have gone for a double <laughs> uh, to make up for your uh, your, your sobriety here. So you'll be, you'll be guiding this thing into land by the end, possibly. If Dave is slurring and taking shots at Bruce Hart by the end of the show, you know why. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, we are here to talk about... Uh, one of the most iconic, I suppose, moments in wrestling history, uh, a documentary that just so happened to be getting filmed when it happened. Um, the film is Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows. And um, so we have a bunch of, like, we, we have a few uh, cues that we're going to A at the end of this. So, because I don't mm-hmm. want to, I looked at a couple of them and I was like, oh, a couple of them kind of get into talking points. We'll be, we'll be chatting yeah, we'll, through we'll, during we'll the, on, yeah. yeah. So let, let's just do the film first and then get into the kind of what, what the, the listeners uh, thought or wanted to ask us at the end. Um, I suppose my first question for you, Lee, is uh, do you remember the first time you saw Wrestling With Shadows? I don't remember the first time. I do remember when it was on, I want to say it was on BBC Two or One. I want to say Two the first time, but I do remember the first time I was on watching it. But I don't know how old it was. I don't know what year it was. But I think it was like, it had to be pretty recent after the the events of everything because like what year was this released was it released in 98 it was we literally just went past it in the timeline it came out in december 98 so like it had to have been like 99 or 2000 at whenever point it was on yeah uk and irish yeah. tv 
Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe at latest it got repeated. If it was on BBC, maybe they repeated it again when the Louis Theroux wrestling yeah, maybe. documentary. Maybe they put that on again. I don't know. But yeah, I would say you saw it in that 99, 2000 um, sort of time. But yeah, no, like I, I remember like it was all the talk for a good long while about like, you know, how it basically exposed everything that went on. Um, yeah. But yeah, what about yourself? When was the first time you saw so like this and beyond the mat are the the two like the kind of like forbidden mm-hmm. you know what wrestling doesn't want you to see uh documentaries now i don't know if i've documented like how and to what level i became online or you know watching the inside baseball stuff but essentially i wasn't like on online to like 0506 that's when i started like um, going on to the, the figure four website before like freeloading for a long time mm-hmm. before actually joining in 2007. Um, but I had been reading maybe since 2002, I'd been reading Power Slam. So that was like my primary outlet for a long time of the, the insider stuff. And I, I heard of Wrestling With Shadows at some point, mm-hmm. reading something on there that mentioned it and you know I, it was something i was interested in but i don't think i saw it until maybe 2006 oh, wow. which would be when i when i started becoming aware of like torrent mm-hmm. sites and things like that you know i probably fucking downloaded the thing on like limewire <laughs> or some shit back in the day <laughs> along um, with some lincoln park and <laughs> yeah but it's one of those days it's one of those things where like it's not it's not all about Montreal, but because Montreal happens, it becomes coloured yeah, as being all about Montreal, right? Um, but because we all know so much about Montreal at this stage and so much has been written and said about mm. it, I felt like, for the most part, I knew the, th- I knew the mm-hmm. documentary before I saw it. Do you know what I mean? Um, that said, it is just brilliant. And I, I like... I. I would have, like, you, you as a documentarian, this is like winning the lottery. Yeah. Something like, like, maybe the most, like, it's definitely the most historical double cross. Like, in, in definitely in the modern era of wrestling um, that's ever happened. And one of the biggest kind of, like, scandals of its type in sports mm-hmm. during that era, really. And, um... To be a camera crew backstage that just happened to already be there when this was happening, and and like, like yeah, here's the thing: like, WWF is notorious for not giving access to other outside crews. Nope. nope. Um, and it's interesting because I think if it hadn't been for how bad WWF was doing financially in maybe the year before they mm-hmm. started filming, I don't think they this wouldn't happens. have. Yes, yeah. they they thought this was this going to be a fluff piece. Yeah, so so uh, two things I did um, in the build-up to this because, you know, um, much as I think we've both kind of, you know, grown weary of him in recent years, I think, like, the, the, the best work on Montreal at the time was by mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer. Um, so I have been reading Old Observers, and I also listened to the interview he did about Montreal on the lapsed fan okay. uh, when the, when the twentieth anniversary came up. By the way, again, we're not go- like we are going to talk about the screw job, but we're not going to talk about it to yeah. the level 
the extent um, or the detail that uh, JP and Jack do on that show. I think they did like a five parter yeah. before they even did the pay per view. You should really just check it at out. Dave Meltzer on Twitter. He'll have it all about. Yeah, if you yeah yeah <laughs> if you oh have an egg God. as your picture on Twitter, <laughs> Lord above. Um. So yeah, like um, it's the most like I'm just. I found myself going into this as like, oh, Wrestling with Shadows is something that we should do in the timeline. It's something, you know, I, I haven't watched it in a little while, so it'd be cool to watch again. But between that and engrossing myself in the um, in the, the Observers and the interview with Dave and the Laps fan stuff, I find myself, one, utterly engrossed all over again, reading every detail about it I could. Um, mm-hmm. And two, uh, I come out of it, it's, it's funny how with time i appreciate brett more and more you know mm-hmm. um and, and part of that comes with me getting older and more mature um and i think part of it as well comes with the more the scales fall from your eyes as you get older about what wwf wwe really is, is. Yeah. and who vince mcmahon is mm-hmm. um because I think, you know, I'm somebody who I think since the start of the show, I think fairly early on, I said like Shawn Michaels was my first favorite wrestler. And for most of my life, he has been my favorite wrestler. So obviously in the Brett versus Shawn thing, there is an inherent bias there somewhere that kind of made me predisposed to, uh, particularly at a younger age, mm-hmm. think, ah, uh, you know, Brett's just Brett like was Brett. yeah, not yeah, wanting yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, Brett, Brett, Brett. Um, but yeah, this was an entire, it's, uh, like, it just felt this is the most I've enjoyed this film in yeah. any of my reads. Yeah, like uh, maybe it's the added context of having seen so much of Brett in WCW, but like I came away from this show, like this film, um, just like like my God, this just broke him. Like it just absolutely, like it, it like the show that the film ends with like a very profound line, which I'll talk about at the end. But like this just this whole series this whole year like literally from when he went back in 1996 it just things got progressively worse and worse for him professionally and it just by the end of it he just seems so broken yeah uh for sure um let's get into talking about Mm -hmm. the film i guess um (laughs) <laughs> something uh, that that was that was particularly funny to me was the dramatic music <laughs> in this which i felt was like it's was like i was watching fucking dune or it, like it's very like the the hans zimmer yeah. dune score i'm wondering if hans zimmer a big wrestling with shadows it was very dramatic wasn't it like uh, <laughs> that was the first thing i know i was like man this, this is like making it out to be fucking something ultra ultra serious um i loved the opening line of the film of the documentary it's like yeah i wrote it down as well go on it's so hard to find a hero anywhere and then when you juxtapose it with the the end of the film which we'll get to it just it, it's yeah. so perfect yeah i i want to um because again it's it's characterized by the screw job and like maybe there are people who are just like they're bored of talking about montreal mm-hmm. But something I found really poignant that I want to, you know, you've read that line. I want to read this out as well. This is from the the Observer that came out just after Montreal happened, mm-hmm. right? And it's just the, the opening pablum about it. Um, and it's funny that, like, Dave wrote this in on November 17, 
1997 and like could not have been more spot on about it where he said it'll go down as in history as the single most famous finish of a pro wrestling match in the modern era 20 or 30 years now from now this story more than any famous wrestler jumping promotions more than any prominent death and more than any record setting house will be remembered vividly by all who watched it live and remembered as legendary from all those who hear about it later through the magic of videotape the last minute of the match will live forever and be replayed literally millions of times by tens of thousands of people all looking in the most minute pieces of detail to this strange puzzle but the story of what uh, led to those few seconds starts more than one year ago, far more reminiscent of the dirty con man past of the industry than the current attempted facade of a multi-million dollar corporate above board image those in the industry like to portray outwardly that it has evolved into. Um, just like br- brilliant writing, mm-hmm. firstly, and like so spot on. He, I think that... he almost downplays it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anything, yeah. he doesn't treat it like as like the way... So he says, oh, like tens of thousands of people re- replay it. No, like tens of millions. <laughs> it's arguably like the most important moment uh, in, in modern wrestling history. And, and Dave um, probably wasn't even aware that the documentary crew had got so much footage. No, uh, yeah, because that's, that's the other thing. Uh, something that came out of listening to his interview was that like, so we all know now that like Brett is a good friend mm-hmm. of his. But he was saying that like... um. Up until the screw job happened, Brett hated yeah. him. Um, he said, like he, you know, he'll readily admit now, Dave. Will he said, look, I was friends with Owen, I was friends with Bruce, and I think he said he talked to Bulldog a good bit as well. Um, so he was definitely getting stuff info mm-hmm. from the Brett camp, and that is always worth bearing in mind. Um, but at the same time, you know, um. It should also put paid to he's just being fed the Brett line because Brett wasn't talking mm-hmm. to him in the build up to this. And he was, you know, like he has in, in that Observer yearbook from 97, which is a fucking great read. You know, he breaks down um, the whole timeline of events that led up to it that he'd been reporting on for the whole year. And that's why I wanted to read his line from the start is that... The situation had been building for a year and like it was already building when the filming starts on this thing and you just see and and get to document and if anything i feel like the documentary the one way it falls short in is that like it, it kind of like almost because of its running time has to leave out some of the details like just how bad it was in the run up to to the day of Montreal but you know we, we'll get into that um Brett talks about you know he has that line at the start of the film about it's hard to find a hero like you said and he he talks about how like how proud he is of the hitman character and how proud he was being a hero to people all around mm-hmm. the world and I think this is one of those kind of older versus younger viewers of this thing that like when I watched it as a younger man, like as a, as a teenager, I think maybe part of me was kind of like, do you know, Brett does come off as the, like sometimes as the holier than thou source that Mm -hmm. like, it felt like just this sanctimonious bollocks just wanted to be a superhero and protecting his own Mm -hmm. image and stuff like that. But now, now I definitely see it more as like, no, this was a guy who like, it meant the world to him that he had such a special place in people's hearts. Um, 
so it's just interesting how that how that changes over the time and um, and it's funny like when you compare like hogan had the same thoughts hogan pre heel turn pre nwo had the very same thing of but like people love me and and wasn't quite sure like if it didn't work would he be able to go back and brett had the very same thoughts like he is like he mentions it in the documentary like but you know w- will people feel the same about me if i ever go and be a good guy again hmm. yeah it, it like it, it, it's so like i look you know personally in turn like artistically I love 97 Brett. Mm-hmm. Like, I love heel Brett. But I, I totally get, especially as things in this era are starting to break down, the line, you know, and it's something he talks about being concerned about, the line between good guy and mm-hmm. bad guy. Um, You know, even with that opening line in the documentary, that's what he's referring to. Um, So I totally understand his reservations about wanting to flip and wanting to tarnish that image. And one of the things that I feel is so kind of underhanded about the way Vince treated him in the kind of their negotiations to keep him uh, was, you know, he was kind of blackguarding him for months with this promise that, you know, uh, before your retirement, because, you know, the famous 20 year deal that we'll we'll talk about, um, the idea was that three of those years he would remain a wrestler and the other 17 he'd be front yeah. office. Um and you know one of vince's promises because he knew it appealed to what brett was most concerned about was that we will turn you back and you can finish your career with one great superhero babyface mm-hmm. run they promised him they literally promised him um you know and this isn't coming from brett's camp this is i think it was pat patterson went on record as saying that they literally promised him that he would be the top guy in the company yeah. like the top babyface mm-hmm. in the company and something very interestingly he says, and he said in multiple interviews in the past, he'd been very consistent on this, is that he realized that by agreeing to turn heel, he let them give top baby face to Shawn Michaels. And by the time he was wrapping up and they were still promising to let him be, you know, the top guy if he committed to this heel run, that by the end of that heel run, he'd been usurped as the top Shawn, heel by yeah. Shawn. You know, it, um... It... <laughs> We'll get into it, but there, there's a point where I, 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 something becomes very, very obviously clear with regards to how Vince feels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, so yeah, what what's next on the so Brett? So we we go back. We we have the clip from the Brett mm-hmm. screwed Brett interview. Vincent is shiner. Um, and then it it winds back one year to Michael Hayes introducing Brett at a Calgary rodeo deal, the Calgary Stampede, yeah. Stampede, yeah. Um, uh, doing a signing, mm-hmm. and I did laugh at how like I fully believe how committed Brett was to his fans and how much they mm-hmm. meant to him, but because like Brett has this habit of speaking fairly, it, it, like in a fair monotone sometimes sound like he absolutely hated it <laughs> do you know what i mean like even though it, like it's just the way he I, sounds i think do you know what i mean the thing with brett is and i can totally um i can get where he's coming from is like he doesn't get very up or he doesn't get very down he's just very level yeah. about everything yeah and it's one of the things it's funny because something i picked up on they do right after this they show him doing kind of one of those local area get mm-hmm. your tickets promos 
and him making mistakes and getting really thick with himself. Like, obviously, before his heel turn, um, he was fairly derided as not being, like, the, 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 anything the, the out of this world face, promo-wise. Yeah. yeah. But something I... Um, something I hadn't really thought about is it's one of those kind of, like, two sides of the same coin deal where their personalities react in entirely different ways to this but one of the great character flaws of I think both Brett and Sean is them being perfectionists Mm -hmm. you know um, Brett taking the Hitman character incredibly seriously and again like you see like getting frustrated with himself when he can't you know cut this pre-tape promo Um, Sean like well documented public public freakouts and tantrums when you know something would go wrong in a match like the the kick invader in the face you know like all that sort of stuff um so it's interesting that like in spite of being especially during this 96 97 period of time completely different personalities there are some things that make them more mm-hmm. alike than either of them probably would have admitted um you see a lot of him hanging out with his son Blade, which is cool. You know, again, it puts forward this image of the strong family man. Um, he talks about I he talks about the Heart Foundation. Speaking of family, so he talks about the Heart Foundation, and I absolutely roared laughing at this, where he's trying to put them all over, and he's just like Bulldog. You know, he's he's the strongest guy in professional wrestling. He's incredible. Owen, great wrestler. The he best might be junior the best, in the world. Uh, yeah. High fl- yeah, he said the best high-flying technical wrestler in the world. And then he goes, Jim. Oh, character. Jim's a real character. <laughs> <laughs> he's that lad at the bar. <laughs> yeah, you might as well have gone, Jim, he's shite. But uh, he's a fucking gas cunt, he is. <laughs> Nobody can stroke a goatee like Jim. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a really nice moment, I think. So they, they have, they then cut to like um, a bunch of fans talking mm-hmm. about Brett. And there's a couple of times where they go to the fans and the fans are kind of, uh, you know, talking about the kayfabe of it all. But I was really kind of, like, touched by people kind of pouring their hearts out about how much they love Brett and how much Brett means to them. And I think part of it, again, is, you know, in my salty old years, it's so rare to have that genuine connection with fans like that this is a hard one to quantify but is it is it like a more wholesome version of the current stan culture like like i i feel like current stan culture is very obsessive and it's not like yeah, it can it's be not a million miles but off. like where yeah, whereas back not... then it, it like you said it just feels very wholesome and I think part of that comes to comes like because it's the nineties. I feel like these people, um, these big wrestlers, feel like near mythical mm-hmm. figures. Do you know what I mean they don't feel like they exist in the same world as us? Where like even the big stars now, they're on Twitter just mm-hmm. the same as you. You see through Instagram, you see, what they're doing, you yeah. see so much yeah. of their life if you want to. You can interact with mm-hmm. them in ways that like you never could with the generation before like i i mentioned on the um the christmas special that brett was the commissioner of wwa and he was at the dublin show and i got to high five him and even just like you know i started watching wrestling in 96 just the idea of 
not even the high five, but just the idea of, my God, there's fucking Bret Hart. And you know what? It's funny you say that because I was watching um, Wrestle Kingdom yesterday. Mm. And I was watching, it was Ishii and Evil in the ring. And yeah. it got awful match. Don't watch it. Um, but like, yeah. it was me, Connor, Jen was feeding the baby. And and I was just, I was watching it and I was like, I just had a realisation and I kind of said it out loud. I was like, I actually saw them two wrestling in Dublin. Yeah. And I was like, that's really strange to think about. Mm. Like yeah. when you think about like, these are guys on the other side of the world that are like Japanese wrestling stars. And it's that thing of, now like I see fucking MJF or whoever I would have seen in OTT pre-pandemic. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but I see them on Twitter all the time. Mm. But like these yeah. major Japanese, it's like, oh, like that that's a big deal. Tatsuya Naito, another one. Like it's just like it's it's that kind of to relate back to, yeah, you don't see these people all the time. Yeah, like you know, we've been, you know, privileged enough to be in the same room as some of the all time mm-hmm. greats, you know, over the last few years, like of this era. Um so the greats of this era, so no, you're not the all time greats. And like you know, much as I'm kind of like impressed by the wrestling and stuff like that, I can't recall being like, you know, quote unquote starstruck by no. any of them. But anytime I've kind of like been in the vicinity of one of the like the these kind of figures from the past and stuff like that, like I remember much as it wasn't a great interview the year I went to WrestleMania, I went to Access. And the day I went, Stone Cold was doing a podcast with Mick Foley. And I just like, I was like, there's, there's mankind and Stone Cold. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's, but because there's that like level of uh, of mythicism mm-hmm. about them. And that's what I love. May- yeah, I think you're right that like, it, it seeing them gush about Brett reminds me about like how I would have gushed about, Chris Jericho. you know, Brett or Sean yeah. or Jericho or The Rock or Austin back when I was a kid. And it just gives me that lovely, bubbly feeling of nostalgia mm-hmm. inside. Um, then we get um, him kind of putting over, you know, uh, the real people behind the wrestling characters. And this was kind of where the, um, you know, became a meme eventually about like, you know, Vader is breedy into his real estate comes from. Because mm-hmm. you have that clip about him talking about like his masters in business and um, all the things he's going to set up as like, th- like that guy you know his family probably are doing pretty well for themselves I think what he said because uh, Big Leon was a 200 square foot shopping mall shopping mall yeah and it was only his first one you know the implying that he was going to be doing mm-hmm. more of them uh, one line that I think definitely Brett insisted on getting into the edit we are um, only friends <laughs> him and Sonny being just friends because obviously one of the big things that yep. um, it wasn't the final straw um, but one of the big things that caused the acrimony between them in the last was, year was yeah. Sean's Sunny Days mm-hmm. promo that I, everybody knows about we don't need to go over that uh, everybody does say though that in terms of like because they had done so they did this thing where the Sunny Days thing ate away at Brett for so long and then like right before Survivor Series like maybe a month or two before when the plans were in the offing for the you know the title to be switched down um, they agreed 
after Vince got them together for Summit, they agreed no more personal stuff in promos. One week that lasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was when Sean said the, the thing that was the final straw for Brett, which was the line about Bing. Stu Hart walking around Calgary dead, but his, his body hasn't figured yeah. it out yet or something like that. Um, but yeah, the Sunny Days one is mm-hmm. infamous. Um, and look, I mean, Brett was very open in his book that he was extremely unfaithful during his marriage, throughout his marriage. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, if, if him and Sonny had a thing, that's that's their business. Like, Sean is still in the wrong to put that shit out on national TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah like, yeah. so. For sure. But yeah, no, it, like you said, it very much felt like Brett saying, no, no, you, you need to put this into the documentary. We are just friends. His uh, the, the thing that, uh, you know, apart from the Sean of it all, the thing that's really interesting to me watching it this time round is all the little glimmers of the evolving relationship between Brett and Vince. Mm-hmm. And he has a line here about how uh, Vince turned the business upside down. And you can tell there's kind of, there's a level of admiration he has mm-hmm. for that. Um, but there's also, you know, one, because he put the territories out of business and two, because of how the, the, co- the content of the TV has yeah. gone, that his opinions are starting to shift. Um, it's one of the major reasons he cited, you know, um, for being disillusioned with WWF and thinking about moving to WCW was the kind of the tone of the programming becoming more kind of childish and mm-hmm. puerile. Um, because he has this line is that Vince turned the business upside down but your children are safe watching me on Saturday mornings which I think like speaks to exactly what Brett wanted from that character and why he had such discomfort about the heel turn and I mean that that's um, really one of the strongest true lines through the whole the whole documentary is Brett Fields like the Hitman character not just him personally the Hitman character is this kind of virtuous good guy in this sea of just absolutely awful people Mm. yeah and you get that feeling about how even if he wasn't moving to WCW there there feels a certain like a, a sundowning of that mm-hmm. character it, it, the business was moving by the hitman character uh, and I felt uh, watching it like I, I think it was fated to burn out one way or the other. Like, obviously not as dramatically as it did in Montreal. But I don't, especially with years of hindsight now, I don't have any faith that if he had stayed for the three more years that they would have done. You know, and Vince is somebody who, when it was running up to the decision being made, would he stay or would he go, when he eventually decided to go, um he gave Vince the opportunity it was like pitch me what you're going to do with me and the best Vince had come up with was I don't know but you can trust me because I've done good by you in the past um, so yeah um, we then go to the the heart house and we we hear from the smartest person in the entire documentary Helen Hart who uh, buries her husband and the entire wrestling business um, she didn't nope. want to be involved with it. He had promised her they'd be out of it. They're still in it. He all, all the daughters <laughs> married wrestlers. All, all the sons became yeah, wrestlers. She said the one. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what she said. The one thing she wanted is that none of our kids were to be in the business and none of our daughters are to marry wrestlers. And that is the exact opposite of what happened. Uh, so she was the smartest woman in this whole documentary by saying that, you know, they should have gotten out of the business. They should have nothing to do with it. Um, then we get to the portion of the documentary, Lee, I would like to call Stu Hart, Psychopath. <laughs> That's not a question mark. That's an exclamation mark. <laughs> uh, like, again, this is something that I think, you know, the last few years and coming back to watch this has made me really think about the much lauded dungeon and the, the, the legendary Stu Hart and going, this guy was a fucking maniac. Yeah, like... <laughs> I mean... I, I sent it to you in the DM, but like, this guy's like the worst parent in Canada. And it's not even close. Yeah. No. Like, so they talk about Stu's background and they say that he, he discovered wrestling while he was in foster Yeah, his, his father went and to prison in, in a dispute over land or something. So him and his sister ended yeah. up in foster. Which is a very old timey <laughs> thing to say. It was the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, like so. So Stu ended up in foster care and discovered shooter shooting wrestling. Yeah, um, per- perhaps my favorite turn of phrase in the whole film. Uh, Stu fell. <laughs> Stu fell in with a group of shooters, <laughs> like his fucking West Side Story or some shit. No, the scare G- gangs of roving shooters going down the main street in Calgary. Now the scary part of it all is Stu starts laughing as soon as he starts retelling the stories, because yeah. he takes great pleasure in the fact that he was you know made to pass out copious amounts of times from being put yeah. in these holes and the yeah, scariest he... line is at the end of it it was i couldn't wait to become the bully yeah so yeah that's what i wrote Stu fondly recalls being beaten as a child and that's not no. a typo that's literally he, he had this kind of like doe-eyed expression on his face thinking about how he used to get the shit kicked out of him and then yeah he was excited to be a bully and that was the first and not last time I wrote in my notes Stu is a psycho um uh you want to talk about statements then that really sum up the values of Brett um when it comes to wrestling and he has this line about how the art of wrestling is to do it do it full mm-hmm. contact and nobody gets hurt yeah, and if you've ever read Brett's book, you will know he takes great pride in the fact that he says he never hurt anyone in the ring. Yeah, and a guy who, like, he had towards the end of his career, and it's the reason he took so much time off in 96, he had mm-hmm. knee trouble. But a guy who, until the, the infamous Starcade match, kept himself in very yeah. good nick. You know, up to the age of what was he, 41? 40 what at the time of the documentary in around 96, 97? Yeah, so he's so he's 42 yeah. when when he gets the, the mm-hmm. concussion. So up until that point, there was a guy who wrestled a style that realistically, you know, that Goldberg match aside, probably could have been doing, you know, part-time into the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, easily. Quite, quite well. Um... Like, you know, somebody said, even though uh, I think it was Dave said it in that interview I was listening to, where he's like, you know, that match he had with Vince at WrestleMania was dog shit. But considering the fact that he was, what, like nearly Mm -hmm. 60, uh, he was wrestling Vince McMahon and um, he had had the concussion issues, the stroke. And had he had cancer at that point or was this right before the cancer? Okay. 
But you know what I mean? Like, and they, something that Dave points out is like, because he stayed out of the public eye, people don't realize how serious that stroke was. Yeah. Like, doctors told me he was never going to walk again. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he could even have a shite match at WrestleMania shows you what a freak the guy was. Um, but yeah, he's one of, like you said, in his book, he talks about how the thing he's most proud of is that he didn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. And he himself mostly serious injury free for his for most of his career um Alison Hart talks about them all being bullied for being the wrestling family um and I cracked up at say at the you know the uninventiveness of school bullies that they used to be called heart fart (laughs) (laughs) great stuff yeah um Brett has a line in here where he says, uh, worst thing they could say about you was that your dad was a phony, which goes to show that like, like he loves, he clearly loves Stu so much and he has such a great amount of respect for him, even though like he's a terrifying psychopath. Yeah, Um, it's not, I don't think it's long after this where Brett said he was deadly afraid of his dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he he tells a story about the bully, about how he like beat up a bully that was much bigger mm-hmm. than him, and this is like verified by people that this did happen. And um, it's funny though him recounting this story and giving himself a serious pep talk beforehand is like, no, I can do this. You know, was like, I'm not gonna put up with this. And it's like he seems like the most serious child in the world. You know, like when you have like a big group of kids. Um, like in a classroom or you know again like if you're at a kid's birthday mm-hmm. party or something like that and there's one kid who just takes everything so fucking oh, seriously yeah. Yeah. that just doesn't appreciate jokes mm-hmm. or anything like that yeah. that's Brett that's Brett through and through God bless him Um. then you uh, you see two young amateur wrestlers down in the dungeon getting stretched by Stu um, like Stu what in his 80s at this point and just stretching mm-hmm. out young lads and like you know at first I, I'm pretty sure the guy he was stretching is just selling but then like I think Stu you know psychopath behaviour <laughs> takes hold and then he just starts actually hurting the dude <laughs> yeah it's like the first time it's like oh yeah yeah he's, fucking de- he's definitely selling like, I think but yeah it's the second time he gets locked in the hole like towards the end of the uh, little segment and he yeah. <laughs> Stu is literally slapping him on the head going look you can see his lips going blue look it's like you psycho you absolute fucking psycho yeah and this next part was the peak psycho behavior you mentioned the line at the end of it but Brett talks about how his dad would stretch him so badly in the dungeon the blood vessels behind his eyes would burst he would beg for death and then Stu would whisper in his ear that he had just taken his last breath and Brett said sometimes I believed him absolute psycho shit and then he finishes off that segment going I was deathly afraid of my father I was like I, I would be too I'm deathly afraid of your father and he's been dead for 20 years all he was short to say was he whispered in my ear going I love you <laughs> it's like the fuck oh Where man we? like stone cold like, I, I know it became a joke of like you know the hard house and like the dungeon and stuff like where were the Canadian yeah. social services my god like oh like that that is the classic textbook example of this shit would not fly I mean Fritz Van Fritz Van Eric like, got a lot of shit <laughs> for, yeah for putting rightfully his kids so. into the business and rightfully so yeah but like I don't think he was stretching them to the point where they were passing out in the fucking ring mm. 
following this, we have, I think, the funniest part of the entire film. Something that I can't believe hasn't become like an out of context meme or something Brett like Stoke. that. So this is the Brett talks about how, you know, I don't want to be stretching real guys down in the basement. I only want my, uh, what is it like this, pla- this rubber the figure plastic, or something yeah. like that. And then it does a crash zoom out to an inflatable figure inside an electric chair. And like, so that's, that's weird. But the thing is, it zooms out and Brett is sitting beside it it, on the stairs, completely deadpan. Absolutely (laughs) terrifying. Like it's the most normal thing in the world. That this dummy is being electrocuted next to him. like full on blue lines coming down and the body is shaking. It's completely stone. And Brett is just sitting there going, Oh yeah, this is therapeutic. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. this is nice. But it's just like, oh my god. Like he seems like that guy that's like the most unintentionally funny person in the world. Like like shit like that would have me like it's terrified, but it also absolutely crack me up. But like I genuinely don't. It, it very much in a you know the way Roy Keane is mm-hmm. very very, very dry, funny, yeah. but I don't know how often he means yeah. to be. Um, it's very much one of those where like if he meant this, it's comic genius. <laughs> but I also would believe he didn't. <laughs> Do you know what I thought of? It was like the Father Ted episode where you know Ted gets left all the memorabilia from the World War Two. Only to discover it's Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how you get more right wing as you get older. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just so fucking strange. Uh, so he wanted to go into film mm-hmm. acting, which, again, you know, we'll return to that point. Um, Stu wanted him to be an amateur wrestler in the Olympics. Um, but it wasn't until a few guys left uh, Stu's mm-hmm. territory stampede that he needed some bodies and Brett stepped in and basically boom he was a wrestler then um, I appreciate how self aware Brett is but how sad this line is when he said he didn't want to end up a wrestling tragedy when like literally next the year, next know, yeah. god knows how many yeah. years of his life I, um, I was also instantly you know, thought of on, and just like it, it's really sad yeah the screw like the screw job is you know one thing but then his brother mm-hmm. dies, Bulldog dies, Rick Rude dies, Kurt Hennig dies, Stu and Helen die. All within like five years. four yeah. to five years of this documentary coming out. Like, and he, he gets a concussion, mm-hmm. has to retire. Then he gets a stroke, you know, like horrendous stuff. His marriage obviously eventually falls apart, you know, Um yeah, just fucking So, awful. Men- mentioning all um, that, we then get Brett discussing the, the dual contract offers. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, you want to talk about astronomical money. Like, 1997, he's getting offered 9 million over three years. Yeah, for that that's Ted Turner's offer. Or sorry, 1996. Um, 1997, yeah, this is the original offer from Turner. This was, was the yeah, this was the post WrestleMania summer break where Brett was gone between WrestleMania and yeah. Survivor Series. Yeah. So he's get, he's 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 um he's offered that mm-hmm. money um by them 
and um, the way it's broken down, and this is like, this is the most classic Eric Bischoff contract maneuvering of all time. So have you ever heard the, like, the breakdown of how he was to be paid? I do remember reading it, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So, um, the WCW contract offered him 2.8 million guaranteed over three years. So that's about $800,000 per year for the wrestling part. And the other 2.8, or the other 2 million of the 0.8 was for guaranteed starring roles in two movies per year over the term of his contract. At a time when Hart was, you know, he, over that 96 period, he was talking about moving into movies because he didn't think he had long left. The structure of the deal also allowed the huge wrestling contract to be picked up by the Turner Movie Studio books, making the wrestling company appear to be more profitable at a time when corporate restructuring with the Time Warner purchase was going on. So... They obviously, 97, 98 were the two biggest profit turning mm-hmm. years in, in WCW. And because the Time Warner merger was coming any year now, what Bischoff did was structure the deal. So not one cent of the $9 million over three years was coming out mm-hmm. of WCW. Um, which like you think about, what was the, like, it would have really eaten into their yeah. profit margin. Uh, in those years if, if that had been on that side but that's just like you know part of it is like oh what a sleaze Eric is but also oh, yeah, genius the, <laughs> do you know what I mean the, like, <laughs> yeah take advantage of your surroundings like if Turner is just an absolute shit show yeah absolutely get one of the other mm. divisions taken on so he said that the, the choice should be easy you know go mm-hmm. make the money for the three years and you can go home live the rest of your life safe and secure but Vince is the man who gave him the opportunity to be who he is, to create that hitman character, and that weighs heavily on him. Um, then we cut to when he announced on TV that he had re-signed with the WWF. And what's interesting to hear from Dave is that when he came out to do that speech, and I think like um, people, you know, wonder how much of it, like you know, Vince obviously knew he was going to re-sign otherwise he mm-hmm. wouldn't let him with a fucking microphone say he wasn't but if you ever watch that footage and they show it in the documentary you see that Vince looks worried and disgusted throughout the segment you know until you know he officially re-signs and stuff like that so Vince did know that he was going to re-sign but something he had urged Brett to do and Brett refused to do was to bring the WCW contract and tear it up mm-hmm. on TV um but Brett, you know, being honourable as ever, said, no, you know, WCW did right by me in these negotiations. I'm not going to go and trash them on TV. And, you know, wise decision, considering he'd be going back to yeah. Uncle Eric, you know, a few months later. And, yeah, apparently for Vince, the fact that, you know, he re-signed but pretty much immediately went against his creative mm-hmm. idea of doing that was the start but not the the real kind of like boulder rolling moment of him kind of you know falling a bit out of love with brett um, and you know what it's really sad to think like how different brett's life would have been if he just went in 96 like yeah. it the, the the two sliding doors moments how different would his life have been if he stayed in 96 if he left in 96 or if he stayed mm-hmm. in 97 
And we'll talk about that latter one in a little bit. Uh, they show the clip of Brett on The Simpsons uh, moving into Monty Burns' house. And do you remember the greatest moment in the history of podcasting, my friend? No. Do you not remember the time that uh, speak? we've been speaking to him a lot on this show that Dave Meltzer got no, pranked? No, no, no. Okay, you need to look okay. it up online because somebody called into Observer Radio with a question hearing that Brett was buying Monty Burns' house and Meltzer did not get the reference and started answering it as if it was a serious question because he didn't know oh, it was a Simpsons thing. I'm, I'm guessing Brian uh, wasn't I, on with him at this point. I can't remember. I it's, like It's been so long since I've listened to it, but I think... It, no, I think it was post-merger. Oh, okay. I, so I think Brian was up. But again, Brian, like, you know, the, the only guy who's in as much of a wrestling bubble yeah, as Dave. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'll, okay, yeah. I'll look that up. Oh, I'll, my I'll God. You that, need yeah. to look up that clip. It's so good. It's so good. Um, he says he always, initially, you know, in their first few years, he was always intimidated by Vince. But it's interesting because, like, he talks about how... He was always intimidated by Vince, but he always respected him. And they're showing clips of Vince, you know, Mm -hmm. chatting away to Blade and stuff like that. And I started making the connection in my head. But then he kind of makes it as well, drawing parallels between Vince Mm -hmm. and Stu. In that way, it's like, yeah, these two powerful alphas alphas in Mm -hmm. his life who both treated him very well, but also not... You know, and he he respects the hell out of them, but he's also and he also realizes that they didn't treat him very well as well. It, it it's really mm. complicated, and it's it's mm. yeah, it, it's just it it is like it is such a clear comparison that and what go on no, no go on. I was gonna say one of the things that characterizes Vince and made him the success he is is his manipulation mm-hmm. of people, and you talk to people who you know, we're in the WWF at its peak. And I think of particularly people like Foley who say like Vince was yeah. like a father to him. Even even Brian Daniels. You know what I mean? He literally yeah. came out a couple of months ago yeah. and just said, I have a great relationship with Vince. Yeah. And that's the thing. Is like, and that's why, you know, the people we, you know, we, we laugh um, and rightfully poke fun at the WWE mm-hmm. brain worms when people get released from there um, and, you know, try it, to... Jim, Jim know, Ross, the, you know objectively the greatest wrestling announcer of all time how many times has he been fired by Vince and still gone back to him yeah and spent the guts of his entire tenure in the WWF being humiliated whenever Vince mm-hmm. felt like it um, being you know being like uh, buried because he had a southern accent when Vince himself is from the south you know real self um, hatred he finds, yeah yeah but um they show oh, I thought it was cool Brett and his mm-hmm. family backstage at Canadian Stampede that was deadly Did um, this whole bit I loved this whole bit so it's a really like little montage of footage of backstage at Canadian Stampede and then they start interspersing clips from the match because as the as the the voice is talking it's Pat Patterson laying out the match mm. now what's hilarious to me is Pat Patterson is laying out the match and the documentary is like interspersing the exact moments so it's like, you know, the match starts and then it, the dust clears and it's you and Steve in the ring and you go back and forward and blah, blah, blah. But not only is Patterson laying out the match, Pat Patterson is saying motherfucker at least every four seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's motherfucker this, motherfucker that. It's just, 
<laughs> and it's so funny to me to hear Pat Patterson talk like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's gas. But uh, like I said, like, it's gas to hear him talk like that, but it's also cool to get maybe the only proper illustration we've ever seen of the you know the booking of Pat Patterson mm-hmm. who everybody says is like the best at laying out matches and particularly at finishes mm-hmm. uh, of all time so that was a really cool little insight there um what have we got then uh Brett talks about the only other real injury he got in his career uh, cracking his sternum off the, the the ring fence against Dino Bravo um I I love that even when he was fucked up, Brett wouldn't do a job to Dino Bravo because he didn't respect uh, him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and talking about how like he because he had never properly been injured before, he he thought he was dying because he couldn't breathe, Mm -hmm. um, which was you know quite something, but um, characteristic as well of you know how people would walk uh walk through fire for Vince. Uh, when they felt loved by him is like the money and obviously his loyalty made him go mm-hmm. back way sooner than he should have. That's what he said. He was only like six weeks injury. or seven weeks. He was off the road. And like, how often have we heard shit like that mm-hmm. over the years? You know, he, um, this is one of the things that gave him pause before he, uh, when he got that first offer from Turner was he wasn't sure how WCW would handle him. Um, which is interesting. Yeah, again, because, like, like, well, they handle him very poorly when they eventually got him. Talk about but, foreshadowing for what's to come. Know. Yeah. Um, he talks about the creation of bad guys and about how important bad guys were for his good guy character. Uh, puts over mankind something fierce in this. Like, I think we all, we all know how much he loved and respected mm-hmm. Austin. Um, and how much he was into the Austin character. Do you know what I mean? Like he was, um, he was always a very giving wrestler and would do jobs at the right time. But do you think about what he gave to Austin during that feud between the two of them? And it's just like incredible. Um, like Austin would have gotten big. He didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say he needed Brett that without Brett there, he wouldn't have become a big star, but Brett also did make it. It's it's that whole thing (laughs) of everyone knew Austin was going to be, a huge star like whether it was 92 95 yeah. or 97 it was just a matter of time before mm. Austin became the star he became yeah. but he needed that Brefield yeah but it was you know so he does mention Austin on the thing but my point was that he kind of um, it's nice to hear him put mm. over Foley so yeah and that, that's a, that's um, something we never really got. I don't rem- recall any big uh, Mankind Bret Hart feud yeah but he's so and that was one of the things is they um they I, I was reading the list of when they were talking about turning them heel mm. and they were like, here's the list of potential opponents you would have. You know, if you're a babyface, we've got um Vader, Austin, and somebody else. And then if you're um if you're a heel, we have Undertaker, oh Mankind goodness. Uh, Michaels and Austin as well um, so you know he was just like yeah I want to work those guys uh, I think Shamrock would have been in the mix there somewhere as well yeah uh, he talks about how good guys are no longer that good the idea mm-hmm. of the shades of grey we should also say like whenever there's backstage stuff it's interesting to see shots of dorky Vince Russo <laughs> I, I didn't uh, want to bring that around up, the yeah. place God yeah. knows we mentioned him enough. Um, 
a bit where he's walking around the house and wants to change t-shirt because he's wearing one of Julie's and it's too effeminate. <laughs> um, he talks about the double turn, the match at uh, Mania 13. Um, and something that's worth kind of bringing up to remind people is that the, the double turn and how it played out and stuff like that was uh, mm-hmm. Brent's creative. I think Gosling has gone on record. I think when he did the, didn't he do a, like a playboy play of the whole match? On his podcast, oh, did he, and yeah. I'm pretty sure, like he says, yeah, this was this was all about like, yeah, he didn't want to turn heel, but once he kind of like got persuaded mm-hmm. around to it, this yeah. was his idea, and it was great. And like, his other idea was the whole I want to be a babyface in Canada and a heel in the states, mm-hmm. which was a great part of that ter- that turn. Yeah, like the the one thing like I've taken from this documentary is I really want to go back and watch the whole year and a half run of Brett. Yeah. Um. He they show a clip of one of his great promos about how like and Jesus, this was a hot button issue in ninety seven, but thank God they sorted all these problems out, <laughs> Lee, because he talks about how healthcare, racial prejudice, and gun control uh, are ridiculously bad in the United States and much better. There's in only Canada. been what six presidents but, since then. Yeah, they've they've nipped that one in the bud anyway, thank God. Um they do a montage of Brett Heel promos. Um and it's funny, the one he he goes back to is when he talked about if you put an if you if put you're gonna uh, give the United States an, an asshole up. Yeah, you <laughs> Pittsburgh is where you'd find the hole. And then there's like a hole aside where he just goes, I was really uncomfortable <laughs> saying that. I have no ill will towards Pittsburgh at all. And then somebody off camera goes, Yeah, but Washington DC and he goes, Yeah, maybe Washington <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what what can you say? Like Brett's a fan of Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just love that he was burying the US left, right, and center all year. And he goes, Yeah, but I feel really bad about Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, then we get the, the fans outside. Oh, and, yeah, and this was a less uh, a less glowing instance of being with the fans because these were all fans who were like, We're not so smart. Le- enough. Let me just say, these are all definitely 100% anti vaxxers. <laughs> yes. Um,. <laughs> Including the the Underfaker, somebody going dressed as the Undertaker. He explains that he hates Canada because Canada hates them and yeah. Brett started They started it. Yeah. What, yeah, it's like, uh, I think Canada sucks because uh, you know, Brett said we suck. Uh, they started USA. Um, <laughs> there was a man who would have totally my energy in this situation, which is a guy who, just to annoy all those fans, came dressed head to toe as a Canadian you know what? man. I, like, maple I did leaves think everywhere. of that time you showed up dressed head to toe in Union Jacks. And I was like, yeah, that, that does strike me as Dave, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's totally me. That's totally me. Um, But yeah, he... he uh, he was there and beside him there was a man in a t-shirt that took me right back to 1997 he was in the Budweiser <laughs> t-shirt with the frogs on it I was like oh mm-hmm. god uh, and I just wrote this tailgate party has some specimens at it but the steel drum concert Bam, absolutely yeah. ruled I, uh, I would have absolutely gone for five more minutes of that um Big, uh, big. It's still, still real to me. Damn it, energy uh, about this whole segment. I, I just came um, away going, you know what? Uh, now I get why they're in so many wars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Uh, we look back at uh, SummerSlam. Brett talking about how he was really trepidatious about the heel turn because he hopes it doesn't damage his reputation with the fans. Uh, SummerSlam match with Taker. Sean as the ref. Um, Brett using one of his favorite talking points. He he said it in you know not only in this but in interviews after. Um, the fact where he compares um, 10 more years of wrestling to being like the oldest dude mm-hmm. in the prison. You know, you got the nicest room, but like you're the still Shaw- here. Shawshank Redemption um, situation, yeah. Yeah, then we get um, a level of self-awareness that you don't often see from active wrestlers where he talks about how much his career is damaging his family and his wife. Now, again, the marriage still fell apart, so, you know, how self-aware. Mm-hmm. But he still he still knows that it's an issue. We get um, Brett playing the, the original PlayStation with his kids. Yeah, yeah. Which Brett um, definitely called Nintendo. One hundred percent. We get DX then, so DX comes yeah. to prominence, and you can tell you can read between the lines even before he says anything negative. The yeah. distaste no, it, he has. It's for- very obvious that Brett is not comfortable at all with this stuff. Again, one of the contributing factors to him just being done with WWF was the segment on Raw where uh, Sean was jumping up and down his arse out uh, above mm-hmm. the signs, which was funny because I was reading in The Observer that like, even though it maintained the same average rating over the two hours, that segment caused 26% of viewers wow, to turn off Jesus. TV. <laughs> So, like, Brett still considers that, like, he was right, you know? Um, Vince, so this is this is interesting. So, is it, it's two weeks before they had been talking about, so about a month out or two months out from Survivor mm-hmm. Series. Uh, Vince, this part isn't in the documentary, but Vince says to Brett, look, we're going through financial trouble we might have to defer some of your payments from this 20-year contract. And, um, yeah, they wanted the to backload date. initially. Yeah. Um, that didn't fly with Brett, because Brett, uh, rightfully, is not even him distrusting Vince at this stage as much as he's like, if something yeah, happens no, to he me... Needs the money. Yeah, I mm-hmm. need the money now. I can't just go on a promise. Um, two weeks before Survivor Series... Vince drops the bombshell that he wants out of the 20-year deal. And Julie smells a rat. And rightfully so, because listening to Dave, the way Dave talks about it, is so when the 20-year deal was signed, they didn't have that money to be promising. But by the time they told him that they wanted to void the contract, they did have enough money to pay him. So numbers had started to improve around this time in 1997 uh, like late 96 early 97 they rose the prices of each individual mm-hmm. pay-per-view um house show business yeah. was doing very well uh, and stuff like that uh now granted house show business this is the one metric like people say because the the ratings were so bad during sean's title run they talk about how he was a, a flop as champion and um you know brett still talks about you know, in some ways mm-hmm. he was. Um, but the one thing that Sean did have going for him during yeah. his title run is mm-hmm. how show was through the roof because, like, the one thing you could say about Sean, he was going to fucking try and have, like, yeah. a banger match every single night that he, you know, felt like wrestling. Uh, <laughs> um, 
so things had started to rebound considerably to the point where when they told them they wanted out of it, they could have afforded it. So, you know, the old, stop me if you've heard this one before, so budgetary reasons, they were telling them they had to cut them and to go negotiate with WCW. Yeah. Let, let's now, not forget that, the like, it was January 98 when they struck a deal with Mike Tyson. Yeah. Um, Vince speaks of how he regrets the deal mm-hmm. being made. Uh, Brett is essentially begging Vince to make him stay. It's not even about money, but, you know, Brett is starting to come to the realization that that he's out of options. Uh, what's interesting is, like, this kind of, this whole period, the, the documentary kind of goes over pretty quickly, but there's so much more back and forth. Um, like, again, um, for a while, um, he's not even, he's just like, no, I want mm-hmm. to stay with WWF now. But what has been happening, like we said, steadily since the 20-year deal is that various things throughout this whole, you know, build Survivor Series are making Vince kind of, like, lose his taste for Brett. He's starting to realize there's not a whole lot he can think of to do with Brett. And he kind of just wants shot him at this point. So it's not that he can't pay. It's that he doesn't want to anymore. It's very much that Brett isn't on board or where Vince wants the company to go. And that's the problem. yeah, now, it is true that initially when they promised them the 20-year deal, they couldn't afford it. They, you know, it's a matter of public record that the the company was doing so badly in 96 that they the had to take coolers, out a loan to keep that, the yeah. business going. It was the water coolers came out with Titan Towers, half the offices yeah. were empty, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they were in trouble, but again, by this time, they were not. Mm-hmm. They were, like, Under again, they were, they were doing well and on the cusp of just doing ridiculous mm-hmm. business. Um, so there's like a series of phone calls that, that go back and forth. Like Brett is repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, like g- give me any reason to stay. You know, it's not about the money. Um, Just tell me, there's, there's one thing where he just says, Vince, all you have to do is tell me what your plans are for me and I will stay. And Vince said to him on the phone, he's like, I will call you back in one hour and I will have... A full rundown, yeah. Full rundown. Four hours pass and he doesn't hear back from him and then Vince finally rings him while he's sitting in the chair at his barber shop in Manhattan. And that's when he has the, Brett, I have nothing for you, but because of our relationship trust me and you know he's really starting to so he's really starting to get yeah. cold feet and um as they were doing during the 96 offer um bischoff hall and nash are all you know Badger sending messages to him just go yeah. just just leave just leave Come i think over. i think brett even says that at one like point that. in the documentary like wcw wcw's offer was what do you want? What do you want us to give you? Yeah. Um, and yeah, ultimately it was a case of they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Do you know what I mean? Like it set his it would set his mm-hmm. family up for life. Um and you, you can't begrudge him with that, especially when Vince is literally yeah. giving Vin, him Vin, nothing. Vince nothing of doing, encouragement. Do you remember the ECW documentary where um, the Dudley say that they went to Paul Heyman and said, Give us one dollar more and Heyman was just like, No. Yeah. Yeah, I, I won't yeah. do it and that that's basically what Vince was doing here to, to Brett he was just like no I, I can't give you anything hmm. 
and they show Brett right after he faxed over. Oh my God! This, this is him, yeah. him signing, agreeing to the dissolution of his deal and the payout for it. And the man's yeah, heart like, was did, broken. I know this is like what it's last what fifteen minutes of the documentary, if even that. Yeah, and like as it's going on, and yeah, as it gets to the point where you know they start having the discussions about Vince can't pay, and he wants me to go back to WCW and see if I can get an offer. That moment where he's standing in his office, describing watch like his finger hovering over the button, and it's just like the man is so obviously broken like heartbroken and devastated yeah and like I know <laughs> we've had great fun shitting on Brett and like the stuff he's done in WCW in 90 and 98 but like you can't help but feel just so overwhelmingly on Brett's side like just how how loyal he'd been to Vince and what he got in return was nothing but just yeah, now fuck you. I don't need you anymore. Yeah, because he said at one point earlier in the documentary, he was like, I've only worked for two wrestling promoters in my life, Vince and my dad. Like, that's how loyal he was. 14 mm. years he was with WWF. Like, that's not nothing. And, you know, they made him who he was. And to go from, like, they... He was the main mm-hmm. guy. And to hear things like, you know, when you read more into it and about how, like, initially, Brett was quite happy to pass the yeah. torch to Sean. He, like, he knew his career yeah, was winding down. He says, like, again, going back to his book, Brett says, in 1992, I knew Sean was the guy that was taking my spot. That's why yeah. when, when the 92 Survivor Series fell apart, Brett's solution was, give me Sean. Yeah. And... As well as that, you hear about how, like, you know, it's not like he wanted to, you know, wrestling is littered with people who don't ever want Mm -hmm. to give up top spot or anything like that. And you even hear how in the lead up to Survivor Series 97, it's like when they didn't think, when there was still time that they could have done Mm -hmm. a different match, that one of the ideas he had was he was just like, give me Austin. I would be more than happy to crown Austin on my way out. And now, the Um, Austin thing I can understand if Vince had known at this point that Austin was the guy at Mania. Absolutely, I can understand. But, so yeah, we're into the last 30 days. We're into the build-up to Montreal. Yeah. He was, uh, the other two names he names in the documentary and in any interviews you read were Shamrock or Undertaker. Okay, the one I was going to come back to was Shamrock. So, we even see footage from the Detroit house show that was on the Saturday. And Montreal, so obviously it was on the Sunday. So Brett's big thing all that week was, I will drop the belt at the house show. And Brett was adamant. He will do. Yeah. He will drop the belt at any show up until Survivor Series. Which probably sounds unthinkable now, but was a thing yeah. that would happen the odd time. So, again, my... My big thing is, why didn't they just have Brett versus Shamrock on the house show in Detroit? Shamrock beats him. Sean and Brett can do their their schmas or whatever they need to do in the main event. And then on Raw, Sean can be Shamrock. Hmm. They also, like, one of the ideas that was was pitched a lot was a fatal Mm -hmm. four-way. 
that they would do a schmoz finish at Montreal. So something else that was... So his his deal was supposed to be up with WWF at, on the 31st yeah. of November. But Bischoff agreed that if he wanted to the work December through... December 7th, December, wasn't it? December, Dece- yes, December 7th was the show. So they'd, he'd let him sign yeah. on for an extra week, finish December 8th. Um, because Bischoff's plan was not to reveal Starcade, him until yeah, Starcade yeah. anyway. And kind of, like, not as a thing of respect to Vince, because, like, they're still in the middle of a war, but as a thing of, like, to Brett. To Brett, he was going to let him do it. Um, We're kind of, yeah, we're... The other thing about the 30 days was, one, he's allowed cancel the deal with only Mm -hmm. 30 days' notice, to serve his 30 days' notice, and within that 30 days, a crucial phrase for this for what happens in Montreal, reasonable creative control. One of Vince's arguments, because something that they don't get into in the documentary, is that lawyers were involved for Mm -hmm. the last few weeks, going back and forth, is that Vince was trying to make the legal argument that refusing to lose the title in Montreal didn't Mm -hmm. constitute reasonable creative control. Um, So yeah, but the idea anyway that was pitched, um, I think... Brett says it was one of his ideas, but also that I think it's been said elsewhere that it was an idea of Pat Patterson's as well, was do a non-finish um, at Survivor Series and then there's an In Your House show on mm-hmm. December 7th and do a four-way with Austin and, and Shamrock and, yeah. yeah. Um, or, oh, sorry, that was it was uh, Shamrock yeah, yeah. and Taker, not Austin. Um, and you can... Um, and Sean obviously yeah and uh, have him lose the belt without even being pinned by Sean um, and that's a way out of it and he was okay with that um, so sorry I'm just going back to my thing he's uh, he does a TV interview and this like is where the, 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 the tensions start to, to rile up really big so he does there's a double header of he does this interview on TV in Canada, but he also does one of his, he was doing columns for the Calgary Sun mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and in both of them, he trashes the the kind of the tone the TV has taken. Uh, the article is much more focused on Sean and like the articles he was writing were semi kayfabed. Um, but he's very clear on the, the TV show about, you know, how he doesn't like the tv and he won't let his kids watch it and his kids wouldn't want to watch it now anyway mm-hmm. um on this program as well uh dave Meltzer's mullet um <laughs> it's interesting there's a point they raise when they're talking about it it's interesting to hear wrestling being talked about this uh, being talked like this on uh about like this on tv is you know them they mentioned the shades of gray thing about how there's no good guys or bad guys anymore and um, the point is made and it's very fair as like you can do moral relativism yeah. with complex stories intertwined but the the assumption is Vince just wants to be trashy you don't have to be trashy with moral relativism but yeah, Vince just to wants be, yeah. to be mm. um, Vince responds to this interview by leaking Brett leaving now perspectives on who leaked it and when vary depending on who you're talking to um now there was uh there there was a great story about how um brett is talking to a friend about uh you know do you think the deal will leak 
and I think he's uh, like uh, because he was worried about it's, the person isn't mentioned but like if one specific person finds out about it and uh, his friend says to him I will bet you one million dollars they already know you know it was always mm-hmm. going to leak something like this but essentially um, at the, by the start of November uh, it was being reported first on the Observer and Torch hotlines and then being picked up by other news outlets it became big news in Canada, but weirdly, because this is, you know, people weren't too online in 97. So it was actually slow yeah. for it to become big news in the US. It was pretty much just the week of that the US got a big hold of the story. Um, the lads are in the car um, and Brett is talking about all the hurtful stuff that he wants him to say to Sean and about how uncomfortable he was with it. My favorite part of that was just honky tonk man is just in the car. <laughs> I I don't know but, why. Do you know what? He's there. Brett, it's I think it's at that point it, when they're in the car. Brett is like very obvious, like very clear in what he says. He says, "This is all Vince. This has always been all Vince. Yeah. Vince has always done it this. Like yeah. he's pitted us against each other." Um, yeah. And it was one of the things that brought the two of them back together eventually in 2010 when the two mm-hmm. of them kind of buried the hatchet Sean and Brett was them realising that they were being yeah. pitted against and each other like to, to see Brett like that, again that's something I didn't remember from the documentary was that Brett very clearly realised already that it was Vince it wasn't him versus Sean it was Vince doing this you know clashing them against each other mm-hmm. and yeah yeah and like the car full of people and like yeah still Vince got to do this for another fucking like to this day he still does this it's just crazy so it's interesting because you know Vince is pitting them against each other the tensions are ratcheting up and Brett has this line leading up to the show where he says it's getting to the point where the baby face mm-hmm. has to prevail you know the way that, like even irrespective of all that behind the scenes tension just the way the storyline is going the only thing that makes sense is the babyface prevailing in this match um so then you get brett refusing to lose to sean in canada the reasonable creative control and perhaps the most doomed line of all in the documentary i can trust earl yeah because Um, julie had said to brett when they're in their kitchen she's like okay what if something happens regardless and then the next line is Mm. i know the ref won't screw me i can trust earl yeah um, maybe the most insidious and creeped out the most insidious part and the thing I was most creeped out by in this whole documentary is the night of the Survivor Series seeing Vince laugh and joke mm-hmm. with Brett's family like that just it's I was like, like you dark. fucking yeah. it really is like um, it's either that or the moment in the hallway afterwards with, with Julie the very famous moment but Yes, yes, which we will get to in a second. Um, So Vince's office sign has a picture of Roman chariots on it because of fucking course. Right next to the ladies' locker room, obviously. There's there's a shot of Earl Hebner's face backstage where, you know, you can read into a lot. Um, There's tape of them talking about the finish. but then you have Brett telling Julie that Vince said it's going to be a DQ finish and Julie doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the match and you hear Brett's voiceover doing what his version of the finish is supposed to be. Um, 
and I'm looking at this like the stuff from the match and and something that's that you know it, it harkens back to what Dave says in the Observer that I read at the start and that's like how photographic your memory is watching this back it's like everything about it is just like etched in my brain the finish happens you know we don't need to detail how it happens because everybody knows um footage that i didn't remember seeing was brett as he's being escorted back there's like a cam the documentary camera view of it and just he looks broken you know it's after it's kind of like after he's gotten the first wave of his rage out and is being brought backstage and he's just like yeah. broken just like i can't believe they did this to me um Vince locks himself in his office like a coward. You have the moment of like, again, one of those, I can't believe they got the footage. Brett asking Sean if he had anything to do with it and him being like, I swear to God, I didn't know anything about it. I was going backstage, Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to confront him about it. I didn't want to win the belt that way. Um, Julie confronting them in the hall and my god the face he on Triple H does not look up from the floor once now obviously it could be creative editing no, but like a like a bell child just, she just tears him tears him apart and it's glorious the, for the man who for the man who took then, great pleasure in claiming he was on the call you know afterwards she just yeah. rips into him it's brilliant uh the the Vince punch out happens and Brett describing it to the, the his family like somehow Vince ran into my hand which I yeah, love the, 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 I the love. camera comes back on in the in the locker room and the doctor is like oh what happened oh well somehow Vince ran into my fist yeah <laughs> yeah is really really funny and one of the things I I read in um in this was one of the pitches for what they would do um. The ultimate irony, um, this was on November 2nd, uh, Brett and McMahon were were still like quite Mm -hmm. amicable and they were talking about ideas for the finish. And in what Dave calls the ultimate irony, Vince pitched they could do a screw job ending. So to steal the title from him and that the next night on Raw, McMahon suggested the two get in a mock argument and... (laughs) Brett would punch him, blaming him for the screw job. McMahon even suggested to hard weigh him by giving him a, a, giving him a black eye. Wow, <laughs> which is just how it ended up playing out for real, basically. Um, so the the full version of the story because it like it cuts around when Vince goes into the um mm-hmm. the locker room to talk to Brett, and essentially what like everybody says happened is that Vince goes into Brett's locker room and Brett is like stripped and mm-hmm. ready to go for a shower. And Brett basically says to him, if you're, is like, you're, if when you're I out, here, yeah. uh-huh. I'm going to knock you the fuck out. And he was, and he knocked him the fuck yeah. out. <laughs> I think that... The, the, uh, and if there's one piece of footage, like, I wish you, they had. You see Vince kind of wobbly-legged walking down the corridor. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the eye already starting to swell. Um... That happens, you kind of get the, like, you know, a little bit more of, like, just a distraught Brett. And then the interview, or the documentary kind of ends with, firstly, the the clips from the JR interview again, the Brett screwed Brett. And then Brett mm-hmm. watching DX mocking him on Raw. You know, with the, 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 uh, the Hitman skit they did. And yeah, that's wrestling with shadows, man. A fucking scintillating yeah. watch. 
even um, again. Just to come back to what I said at the start, the, the line that closes the whole documentary is Brett kind of walking back to Harthouse with his dad and he just says, they murdered the Hitman character. Um, there's just some stuff from like the um the interview mm-hmm. I wanted to mention again um that I listened to and again listen to that lapsed fan interview with Dave. So um Meltzer, when the first round when the first Ted Turner contract got sent to to Brett, uh Meltzer was having dinner with a friend of Brett's in San Jose. So I'm assuming like a Rick mm-hmm. Rude or someone like that, um. And he was fuming with him over because it was when the... Actually, no, it wasn't when the first thing happened. It was the night that they had the meeting and Brett said, look, I'm more than happy to put over Sean on the way out. And Sean said, I just want you to know I wouldn't do mm-hmm. the same for you. Which was the... the That was the snap for Brett. That was it then. You know I mean, that was where he's like, he's yeah. going to be difficult. I'm going to be difficult too. He says on it TV, again. Doesn't he? At, in NASA... He says it on TV. He says it to him again backstage uh, in another meeting with Vince in Nassau a couple of weeks later. The Wednesday before Survivor Series, and this is a detail I had forgotten, they had a finish agreed, right? Uh, pretty much like it was a pretty much over the line what they were going to do. V- Sean was going to agree to not mm-hmm. beat Brett. Like, I, I can't remember if it was a schmoz or Brett going over and they'd have another match. I can't remember which one it was. But on the Wednesday before the pay-per-view, Sean and Brett come to an agreement and that's when Triple H gets yep. in Sean's ear. And he said, this, I think uh, Brett's, or, or Dave said, the line was something to the effect of this motherfucker's leaving the territory. You mm-hmm. do not lose to him. Um, Then there's the fatal four way. We talked about that. The original idea when Vince, when Vince came to the realization he was going to screw Brett, the original idea was to do the Moolah Wendy Richter finish. But the reason he talked himself out of it was if they did the fast count finish, there was no plausible deniability for mm-hmm. Sean or Earl because they would have to know yeah. to be in on it, to do the fast count and to hold him down for the three. So that's when they turned to the the sharpshooter mm-hmm. idea. Something Dave also immediately rubbishes, no matter how much they have tried to insist in their relative books, um, neither Russo nor Sean were the ones who came up with the idea no. of the submission. He says, I'm not sure if it was one person's idea or a couple of people's idea, but he says, the one thing I'm sure of is that Russo yeah, no, and Sean just, had nothing to do with the idea. And that's where it came from. Yeah. yeah. And he, he said a line about how, like, it's funny that the two people that are, like, the biggest uh, religious guys are uh, involved in the situation are the biggest liars about it. Um... Interestingly enough, the night of um, Montreal, do you know how Eric found out what was going on backstage? No. Rick Rude. Oh, of course. This is where Rude jumps across. Yes. And he's on both shows. So Rick Rude Rude called him, Mm -hmm. called Bischoff to tell him, you're not going to believe what's after happening here. He's after knocking out Vince and everything like that. And the one thing that's really gutting, and you would know it as well from reading the book, is that when he has reflected on it in years since, Brett still fully believes that if he had stayed with WWF, Owen yeah. wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have because him with the blue you know, and stuff like that. But he says specifically what he's come to think about in recent years is that one of the reasons. So everybody 
I think, knows that Owen did not mm-hmm. want to do the stunt that killed him. Did not want to do it. He was terrified. Um, But what Brett says is that Owen didn't have the pull backstage to say mm-hmm. no to it. But he if would've. Brett was there, yeah. he would have known that he's scared of heights and stuff no, like that and said, it. absolutely yeah. not. And they w- mm-hmm. he wouldn't have done it. So Brett, because of that, still blames himself, which is fucking yeah, that's awful. And that's I mean? the worst. You know what? That's the worst thing to come out of it all. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, like, obviously, you know, Jim uh, and Bulldog jump over with him eventually and Rick Rude. But um, Owen had signed a five-year deal and he was the one that, that year, Vince wouldn't let go. I think. He was the only one. Yeah. No, Even though he wasn't going to like, push him the way he should have yeah. been. It's just spite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real bummer. But look, you know, um, absolutely fucking captivating and brilliant documentary. Um, oh, I loved it, it. it. It's just so good. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It's, it's going to stand the test of time because Montreal is so infamous. Because that era of WWF is so there's so much you can gleam just from this documentary um, like Brett like you come out of this and it's funny you come out of this like with so much more appreciation for Brett like I think the older you get the more appreciation you have for the situations he was put in yeah yeah Um, let's close this out Lee by going to mm-hmm. some listener questions about uh we asked them if you want to talk to us about wrestling with shadows or anything in general hit us up uh your choice my friend do we go with uh twitter first or our brand new discord channel on uh, the we'll do the twitter discord. first okay so first one from carrie the gary if brett won't lose to sean but will happily lose to anyone else on the roster who would you have beat Never. brett for the title yeah i i think like all things being equal, like I think if you're just evaluating who's about to catch off uh, on fire, you might be tempted to say, like we no, said earlier, but it, Austin. But again, yeah. you've put forward very valid reasons that like Austin I should think, be crowned at Mania. I think you can have Shamrock so, beat him and then at the next pay-per-view, Sean can be Shamrock and then you get to Sean Austin at Mania. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and, uh, and, if that, and I do think that validates I would, I, Shamrock as a top-line player as well. I, I also wouldn't have done the other person who we kept mentioning in the mix no. there was Undertaker and you know they're already moving Undertaker firmly towards mm-hmm. that that Kane feud for 14 so that doesn't make sense uh, Shamrock is the, the perfect option you know it, it kind of sucks that somebody has mm-hmm. to be the transitional champion but to get back to, to Sean round, versus being a transitional champion no not necessarily um, so yeah I, I think that's probably the, the best shout um, Webcon says this is one of the best documentaries period wrestling or otherwise I would have to agree it's amazing they got the double cross uh, mm-hmm. on audio tape what are some other favourite wrestling docs uh, of the two of you well I think we yeah, mentioned Beyond the, beyond the Mat um, David Arquette Hard to Kill incredible yes you cannot kill you cannot kill David Arquette yeah yeah um, that's another yeah, incredible yeah. one and to top it off the third one probably the ECW WWF one and the Forever Hardcore. If you watch the two of them, you get a proper full, full, full picture of what ECW was. Mm. I also love the Punk yes. documentary that, was very good, yeah, that yeah. they did on his DVD. 
Um, I also remember, although I haven't seen it in probably 10 plus years, the triumph and tragedy of world-class wrestling. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, it was, that's was what it was called, wasn't it? The tragedy, WWE, yeah. the WWE release. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Um, it's tough. Like I've always, I've always liked the Louis Theroux one, but mm. that's kind of a different. Like that's kind of a silly one. You know what I mean? That's you have to like his style of thing, and I don't put it on the same level as the other ones. I think the fact that WWE owns such a big tape library, um, and is so resistant to working with any outside unless Mm -hmm. it's a puff piece makes the possibility of getting ones on that level very slim because i think there are so many 30 for 30s you could do that like they didn't i enjoyed the flare one for what it was but they obviously didn't get nearly as much into the dark stuff as they should have um i think the andre the giant one was good the hbo one yeah um and obviously dark side of the ring i think like the quality does tend to kind of go up a bit up and down yeah but when they Mm -hmm. hit they really hit um yeah i i think there aren't nearly enough really Mm -hmm. good ones out there and of course the great thing about the wrestling documentaries when you used to get the official wwe ones is that even if the documentary was a bit middle of the road you'd get like two additional discs of just wall-to-wall matches i really i'm raging i can't find my brett one mine's around so i have the 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 brett three or four disker and it wouldn't be anything i wouldn't watch the documentary at all i just really that's the thing i come away from this i want to crack open the book give it a proper read and i want to watch Mm -hmm. loads of brett um, that's what I've come away from this this documentary with. Um, let's go. What have we have we got? Oh yeah, <laughs> Kim Geist. Uh, why does Bret Hart have a guy being electrocuted in a chair in his basement? That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't have an. Answer I wish to that. I could have the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, it evidently comes from a long line of psychopaths, as we found out in this documentary. Uh, we've got two questions mm-hmm. from the Discord from Droman. What's a negative influence you think this documentary gave to pro wrestling? That's a really interesting one. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the very obvious negative influence I mean, it gave I, is the fucking copious fucking slew of Montreal Finnish copy cats that came afterward. Yeah, it kind of deifies mm-hmm. the Montreal as something that would be repeated ad nauseum. Like, we've already talked on the show about how they do it at Deadly mm-hmm. Game the following year at Survivor Series. But, like, a long history of that shit happening. Um, also, I would say maybe it's a key moment in the end of that era we talked about earlier on when the kind of walls between these yeah. people we idolized and fall, us yeah, yeah. start to fall away. And there are definitely positives to that because nowadays we're more discerning and we know things and we're not as willingly giving our money to horrible people mm-hmm. as we once were. But there's downsides to that as well. And that kind of like exactly. the magic is gone. You know what I mean? And, and I think that and beyond the map, the double header of that really opened a lot of people's eyes. Um, it probably wasn't a negative influence enough in some ways because it, di- it didn't no, harm Vince one jot. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then the final one uh, from one uh, Rich Kreich, uh friend of the show. Uh, who is the biggest villain in the story other than either Vince or Stuart. Brett? 
And do you know what? It's too hard. What? I was going to say, like, I'm assuming he meant to mention yeah, Sean as no, well. Yeah, but no, it's Stu. It's absolutely um, Stu Hart. Yeah, it's, probably, it's possibly Stu. Um, there is another thing I, I was going to say on this, and that's like, I think this screening, more than any of the others in the past, I am not inclined to see the no, Brett as Jesus, a villain no. narrative at all. Like, the whole thing of, oh, he no. wouldn't drop the belt and wouldn't do the honour, but fuck off. Like, the man spent a month trying to drop the belt. If, if um... Now again, you're obviously seeing it is very much Brett's mm. side of things, and I, you know, he look, I have no doubt there was Tansy torn down, like that. absolutely. But yes, like yeah. no, he he's not the bad guy here. Yeah, I think if you haven't watched this documentary in years, come back to it, if, especially if you have that kind mm-hmm. of bitter Brett narrative. Like definitely, I I won't for one second say that he's not bitter when he's in WCW, but that is. WCW's fault as much as anybody's but in this situation I am not putting it down to him being bitter or difficult or anything like that like he's just at worst you can say he's just giving out what he's getting Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks you know what I mean Uh, giving them a taste of their own medicine anyway Lee it's been real I've really enjoyed it I was really excited to talk about Uh, this like like we said just an absolutely phenomenal documentary one of the best ever covering wrestling and it's it really is an immortal documentary because of everything that goes on around yeah. it. Yeah. As I think Webcon said, it's just yeah. one of the best documentaries, period. Like, I, you mm-hmm. can show this to a non-wrestling fan and they'll be gripped by it. You know what I mean? Which is why it just aired on legit TV over in Canada and over here as well. Um, right. Okay. Without further ado, that that is us. And officially, Lee, it feels weird. We're signing off the last PWOM for the last <clears> time. Um... It has been an absolute pleasure. We we gave our, our flowers, our thank yous at the start, but once again, thank you so much to this network that has been a home to us for nearly the whole length of our run. We'll be back in two in weeks new home. at our new home on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, PWM. We hope all you Thunder Buddies will follow us to our new home and support us where we go and continue to support PWOM. Goodbye. Good luck. Stay safe out there, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars